today is Palm Sunday. Uh, that was Sunday before Easter. And I, I want to share with you kind of just the Palm, story, Palm Sunday story and give you kind of the scene that is happening that Sunday. But before we jump into Palm Sunday, I wanted you to ask yourself this question. Have you ever had a time in your life where your heart was broken for someone else? Has there been a time where you've just felt just broken for the situation that someone else is in? The other day I felt this way because I saw uh, this man with a lot of learning and physical disabilities and it broke my heart. And here's the reason why it broke my heart is because I have watched that my entire life. My brother for the last 35 years has struggled with mental and physical disability. And as I saw that guy this last week, my heart was just stirred and broken because I knew the pain, I knew the hardship, I knew what he was feeling and how life was treating him. Have you ever felt this way? Has your heart been broken for someone else? And today, what I wanna show you in the Palm Sunday story is how Jesus has a time in his life where he is broken on Palm Sunday and the range of emotion and where it leads him with his broken heart. And as I share the scene of Palm Sunday, you know, Palm Sunday is kind of fun if you grew up around church. A lot of times you have kids coming and waving like palm branches. I wanted to do a drama, but uh, like... I couldn't recruit Tim and Billy and Ron. They, they weren't really interested. It actually got, the argument happened when we had to decide who was going to be the donkey. I thought they would all make great donkeys, but no one wanted to be the donkeys. So anyway, I'm just going to share with you the story and unpack the history of Palm Sunday. So two, over 2,000 years ago on this Sunday, it's called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But before we hit Sunday, I got to give you some historical background on it because a few weeks before Palm Sunday happens, Jesus performs one of his most notable miracles, which is this. He raises his really good friend, Lazarus, from the dead. And all of a sudden, the like fame of Jesus and the word of Jesus starts sweeping through all the countryside because they hear that Jesus has the power not just to heal people, but he's actually saw someone come back to life. And, and Jesus' name becomes very big throughout the region of Galilee, down to Jerusalem. And so after uh, Jesus heals Lazarus a couple weeks before Palm Sunday, he actually moves from Bethany, which is where Lazarus was from, and he goes up north to Galilee. I think we have a map here. And he goes up north to Galilee, which is up here. It's not on the screen. And then as he starts coming down this, these next couple weeks, he's headed towards the cross, which is in Jerusalem. And he's at first going down to Jericho. So he gets to Jericho two days before, uh, or it's actually a few days before Palm Sunday. He gets there and he stays two days. And during those two days, he sees two men healed that were blind. He also uh, gets to see uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, uh, come to know, know him. And the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, he comes to faith. And at this time, all of a sudden, there's this thing that is happening in Jerusalem, which is all the Jewish people are headed to Jerusalem for Passover. And so at that time of Passover, there's a, they estimate about 2 million Jews are going to Jerusalem and the surrounding area to take the Passover lamb and to celebrate Passover. So all of a sudden, Jesus' fame and notoriety is rising when... Passover is happening, when there's 2 million people around 
Jerusalem. So Jesus' name is picking up. He's healed these two blind men. Zacchaeus comes to faith. And so a crowd starts to follow Jesus from Jericho, and he's headed to Bethany. And this road right here that leads is a Roman road, and it was 17 miles long, and it ascends a hill of 4,000 feet. So it's a, it's a pretty steep climb that Jesus is taking. And Jesus then lands in Bethany, again, where Lazarus is at, on Friday, the, or on Saturday, the day before Sunday. And so he arrives in uh, Bethany. And right before he arrives in Bethany, we're going to pick up our story because as he arrives in Bethany, he actually sends a couple of his disciples ahead of him. And so we're going to be in Luke 19, and we're going to just walk through this story, and this is what happens. So right before they get to Bethany, this is what happens. As he, Jesus, approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. What I like to do when I read stories like this, I like to put myself in the disciples' shoes. So he picks two random disciples. He goes, hey, go ahead, and you're going to find this donkey. Some versions say colt, some say donkey. I like donkey. It's more fun to think about donkey. Uh, So there's this donkey. You're going to go and you're going to go on a donkey heist. I mean, like, there's just a, like, okay, Jesus, you're telling me that we're just going to walk up and we're basically stealing a donkey from someone and saying, if they ask, Lord needs it. Yep, that's what I want you to do. So they go ahead and they go on their donkey heist. Can you imagine you're the two disciples, you're like, see the donkey, and you're like, which one of us should go? Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> okay, I'll go steal the horse for Jesus. <laughs> All right, and you start grabbing it. So they grab the horse, and this is what happens, or the donkey in verse 32. It says, those who were sent went ahead, and they found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? Valid question. <laughs> They replied, the Lord needs it. All right. So in John 12, 1, we see that there's uh, this reference that says that the Passover is coming up and that that, uh, Jesus is in Bethany. So we know that he was there on Saturday night and he was headed to Jerusalem on Sunday. And in Bethany, what he's doing is he sends his two disciples. They get this donkey ready, but he's headed to Bethany because he has a heart to be with his friends. He wants to be with his last moments with some friends and some loved ones and his disciples because this is the town where Lazarus is from. So he's going to spend time with Mary, with Lazarus, and he just wants comfort. He wants love because he knows the next few days where he is headed. He is headed to his death. And all he wants, like I think a lot of us would, is just comfort from his friends. In John 12, 9 through 11, it actually says when Sunday comes, Palm Sunday, it says that there are, about, uh, there are all these people that heard that Jesus was in Bethany, and so they left Jerusalem, and there's about two miles between Jerusalem and Bethany, and they started flooding the streets from the east uh, gate of Jerusalem, and they came all the way because they were so excited to hear who Jesus was, to see him, to see Lazarus. And so there's this huge amount of energy that happens. Some scholars say that on that road that day, there were 200,000 people lined up this two miles. This isn't just like three kids with palm branches. This is a massive celebration, like almost that of what a king would have as he comes in. And, and it says in our story in verse 35 that they brought the donkey to Jesus. And for a second, if you'll remember back when we just read, it said that this colt 
had never been ridden. So do you think, I, I don't know, maybe it was easy, but the, the, disciple, the two disciples had to go get this unridden, unbroken colt that had never been ridden and pull it to Jesus. I actually kind of think they were like struggling with it, like the donkey wasn't moving and they're just pulling it. And they're like, this is the biggest pain in the donkey. So they're pulling this colt, and I can imagine they get it to Jesus, and they're trying to get Jesus on the colt. And Peter, I'm just going, he's a little brash. He's probably like, hey, Jesus, this, this colt has never been uh, broken. Like, let me get on it. You know, I once went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I can get on it. Just let me get on it. And then James is like, oh, Peter, I got it. I, I've been watching Yellowstone. I know how to break these things. Like, and then all the disciples are like, you've been watching Yellowstone? I thought you were all holy and everything. Well, the plot line's good. Anyway, so... Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm getting on it. And what's crazy to me, and I think I've missed this every time I've read this story, is that the donkey listens to Jesus. That when he sits on it, the donkey, he can ride it. And I think they think at that moment, remember Jesus, he can calm the winds and the waves that everything listens to the name of Jesus. So Jesus gets on this donkey and they, it goes on to say, they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. So the rest of the story, I want to point out kind of three major themes through this passage. And just three major themes that we, I want us to walk through. And the first major theme that I want you to see as we read through this story is the first major theme is this, is that Jesus is worshipped on Palm Sunday. That Jesus, King Jesus, is worshipped on Palm Sunday. It says this in verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This crowd of 200,000 people are spreading their coats on the ground. Some are waving palm branches and they are worshiping Jesus. They are saying, blessed is the king. Blessed is, are you, Jesus. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Now, Jesus in his earthly ministry at that time had never had a demonstration like this. He always kept it quiet. If you look through the of all the parables and all the healings of Jesus, a lot of times he's telling them, don't tell anyone because he doesn't want to create chaos and he doesn't want to kind of escalate the timeline of his death because the Pharisees at that time wanted to kill him and they, he knew that the religious leaders wanted him dead. And a display like this would speed up everything towards that mission of execution of Jesus up until this moment up until Palm Sunday. He didn't want it to happen, but now he did. This was the time. This was the city. This was the day. It was all to be set in motion. And as the people are worshiping him, they're singing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king. And only a king would get this kind of welcome. There is a worship that glorifies Jesus. As, as we even step back a moment and think about how our response of Jesus on Palm Sunday should be, it's that we should worship him. We're to glorify him. We're to raise him up as King Jesus. So today, 
When we sing, we are not singing for ourselves. We're singing to glorify our king because Jesus was setting in motion a demonstration. See, Passover was the time that they would bring on Friday, the day of the crucifixion, they would bring a lamb to be slaughtered. And Jesus on Friday is going to go to the cross as the lamb of God to be slaughtered for your sin, to bring you to God so that you might know God. He is king and we are to worship our king. What's interesting in this scene, though, is there's 200,000 people potentially yelling these things. And as Jesus goes down this two-mile road, I think there's two types of people that he sees. Because we, we see it about five days later because Jesus, he's, he's headed to Jerusalem, and they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he looks at some people, and he goes, I know that in four or five, six days, you know what you're going to say? crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Because on that road, there were people that were celebrating Jesus and they were super fickle. In a few days, they would be saying, crucify him. Yet there was a different group of people. I imagine a a little girl, he passes by on that donkey and he sees, and she's worshiping him with all her heart. And he goes, you know what? You're gonna live for me. You're gonna love me. You're gonna care for me. You're gonna be under Nero's persecution and you will stand up to it and you will die for me. That is your heart posture. See, there are two heart postures that day of worship. One that was just in vain, that was outward display. And two, the person that believed in Jesus with all their heart. And as the parade continues, this is what happens is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, what they looked on, they said this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like stop them from doing this. And Jesus knows the heart of these Pharisee leaders. They're pretty mad because they're jealous that Jesus is getting worshiped. They want the worship. They want to be king. They want people to glorify them. And they go, teacher, you need to rebuke your disciples. Stop them from doing this. And as Jesus looks and ponders their heart, he looks them in the eye. And I love this part right here in verse 40. He goes, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, Jesus is to be worshiped. Jesus knows that he is now King Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the world, and he is to be worshiped. So on Palm Sunday, we're, he deserves our worship. My question for you today is who are you in this story on the road? Are you the person that is worshiping Jesus with your heart? that you made a decision to make him king, that you believe and you trust him and you don't just say it with your mouth, but you believe it in your heart and it changes your actions? Are you here today and, and you've just said, oh yeah, Jesus is king, he's Lord, Hosanna in the highest, but the next moment when he doesn't do what you want him to do, you leave him behind. You say in your heart, I crucify you. We all have to make a decision to make Jesus king over our life, to worship him truly with our hearts, not just with our mouth, but with our heart. And for all of us today, I just want to really challenge us as a church. We come, we sing songs, but today, can we just worship God at the end of this message? Can we take communion and let's just remember our Savior. Let's pretend we're on that road and let's be the people that are going, Hosanna in the highest glory to our God. See, Jesus is to be worshiped. The second major theme that we see in this story is that Jesus is to be worshiped. And the second one is that he is broken. Jesus 
is broken. As that donkey continues to trot down those two miles, the palm branches are waving, this huge worship service is happening. It's very interesting what happens in verse 41. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, even if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus is on this donkey with all these people worshiping and all of a sudden all the emotion hits him. And this word, he says, he weeps. He's on the donkey, hands in his face, crying out. And this is a different weeping. See, he wept over Lazarus being ra- dying and then him going to raise him. He says he wept over it. This is a different, actually, Greek word than that weep. Uh, that's in John eleven thirty five. 35, by the way. It's the easy, if you want to memorize a verse, John eleven thirty five. 35, impress your friends. It's two words, Jesus wept. So that's easy for you guys. If you try to memorize Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. It is not the same wept though. This is the most drastic form of weeping. This is sobbing, it's heaving, it's agonizing, it's a wrenching sorrow. There is no stronger word that exists for emotion than what Jesus felt as he looked over Jerusalem. See, Jesus was a complete broken man that had a broken heart at that moment and he let all the emotion out. That's why in Hebrews 5, 7, it says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. He had a fervency about him. He had a brokenness about him in tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. You think at this moment of Jesus' ministry. It all came to this point. He knows he's headed to Jerusalem. There's this worship that is happening, yet in his heart, he is a broken man. He weeps in agony. So my question and your question should be, why is Jesus broken? Why is he weeping? I'm going to give you four reasons I think Jesus is broken in this moment. He's broken from brokenness. Jesus is broken from brokenness, and here's what I mean. He's broken for Jerusalem. He is so hurt for the city of Jerusalem. He knows that 70 AD, the temple will be destroyed. He knows that destruction is coming. And we saw in the earlier, as he talked, it said that if you had known that this day was upon you, that there was peace coming, but it's been hidden, that they did not see, that Jerusalem did not see, that most of the Jews were not going to see who Jesus really was. So he's broken over that. He's broken. The the separation that is coming from his father, when he goes to the cross, we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is crying and he's weeping and he's sweating blood. Why? Because he knows that when he dies, there will be a spiritual disconnection that he's never experienced with him and his father. He's broken from that disconnect. I believe he's broken from the world. We see over and over and over again that Jesus is broken from the sin of the world. He is broken from hurting people. He has pain, he has sorrow for the suffering that is in this world, for the hardship in this world, for the death in this world. He is broken over our world. And lastly, I think he's broken over our human nature. You know, the Jewish people had a desire that Jesus would be a political leader. 
but he was not going to be a political leader. He was going to be a sacrificial Messiah and the people were so fickle. He goes, you're saying Hosanna one moment. I know you're going to say crucify me the next. We live in a world today, isn't it kind of similar? People will tell you really good things to your face and then behind your back, they will stab you in the back. Jesus feels this kind of brokenness. And God's heart is one of complete love. And a loving heart is broken when things are broken. A loving heart is broken when things are broken. So Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and he doesn't hide it. We know it, we hear it. He explains why, why he's weeping. For most of us though, when we think of brokenness, we don't like like dealing with our brokenness. Most people in our culture flee brokenness. I'm a like totally like glass full kind of guy, positivity. I like try to turn everything. This is actually confession. This is how most of my arguments with my wife happen because I'm always trying to like, it'll be all right. It's great. It's fine. It's, and I don't want to embrace any hardship at all. Yet Jesus is embracing brokenness. And we as his people, we need to embrace brokenness. We need to embrace weeping and hardship and pain. Ecclesiastes says it this way. A good name is better than perfume and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Why is this? At birth, we meet our earthly parents. In death, we meet our heavenly father. See, death brings something in us. Pain brings something in us. It goes on to say it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. See, when we see death and we see that we're all destined for it, you realize life is bigger. It's greater than what we live for typically. Death and mourning is good for us. And lastly, it says frustration is better than laughter. Frustration is a good thing for you. One way you can figure out what breaks your heart is what, what frustrates you. What makes you discouraged? What makes you annoyed at the world that you see? That is the desire of brokenness in your life. And you go, I don't want that brokenness in our world. It goes on to say, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is good for us to be a broken people. Jesus was broken. And here's the key. What breaks your heart reveals your heart. What you were broken over, what you're frustrated by, reveals what your heart is. So when we have a broken heart, it will reveal our hearts. And Jesus' brokenness, it reveals his heart of love for us, his heart of compassion for us personally. Also, it reveals his heart for his love for his father, for his father's mission, and the brokenness of our world. If we are to follow Jesus' example of brokenness, my question for you today is this. What breaks your heart? What do you see in the world that you agonize over, that you weep over? This is broken. This is wrong. My heart is broken. What breaks your heart? What I love about our church is we have a ton of people that hearts are broken for different things. One of my good friends, Mark O'Brien, his heart is broken for people living on the streets. When it is cold outside and it is nighttime, I know where you'll find Mark O'Brien, don't you, Todd? He'll be driving around looking for people that are freezing and paying for their hotel room and doing whatever it takes to save a life that night. Why? Because Mark O'Brien's heart is broken. 
My friend Keith Rosenhagen, I see him. He meets with a ton of young men, and he has such a desire to see marriages succeed. What I know about Keith is his heart is broken for young men. He's broken for good marriages. He wants to see people reach that have bad marriages become stronger. My good friend, Sarah Jones, her heart is for uh, under-resourced pregnant women that are going through trouble. She wants to be there and her heart breaks for it. And I see it in her. My, my friend, Steve Cummick right here, I see over and over again, his heart is broken for our kids' ministry. He helps lead our kids' ministry and his heart is broken for it. My good friend, Ron Johnson, if you know Ron, you know that Ron loves lost people. He loves sharing the gospel and he just doesn't talk about it up here. A couple weeks ago, he's like, I'm like, I called him at like 8 a.m. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm up in Ruby Hill knocking on doors trying to share my faith. I'm like, what? Like, that's what you're doing right now. He goes, yeah. Because why? His heart is broken for lost people and he'll do whatever it takes to reach lost people. My friend Donnie and Camille, they they help create the worship service here. They break over and over again for you to worship God. They plan every single song out, every single light, every single motion. Why? Because they want it to be really good. No, they want you to worship God. Their heart breaks for God's people to know him. My friend Dion Burton, he loves theology. He loves the word of God. He loves people knowing deep understanding and then not just knowing it, he wants you to apply it. His heart is broken in that way. Where is your heart broken? What is it broken for? Maybe it's single mothers struggling to provide for their kids. Maybe it's your neighbor that's hurting that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's addicts that you want to have help break a habit. What? breaks your heart. My heart breaks as one of the leaders of this church is when people don't really feel like they have a place in our church. When they don't feel like, well, my gifting or my heart or what I desire to see happen, I don't know if I have a place here. And I I just want you to know that that is not true because we need every single person having a broken heart for something and impacting our world because when your heart breaks, it reveals your heart and you will act upon that. There is foolishness if we gathered a church together and all our hearts broke for the exact same thing. That would be foolishness because we are the body of Jesus and Jesus' heart is so big, I can't break for every single thing and is an We're not like this organization that starts 500 ministries. We can't do that well because the key of having real ministry is not organizational. It is people-centered. It's the people of God. The church is not an organization. The church is each and every single one of you. I don't make up the church. Ron doesn't make up the church. You make up the church. And so when your heart is broken for something, you are actually to engage in that part of life. We are to be a beautiful church with beautiful differences, reaching different people and having different hearts to reach the heart of Jesus. Our heart should be broken. My question though, you might be asking this is, what if you're searching right now and you don't know what your heart's breaking for? If you're like, I don't know if I have a broken heart for anything. I don't know if anything stirs me. That's okay. A lot of times our hearts can be callous because we live in a very self-centered world. Your world is set up to serve you. And that's not, you're bad. That's just the world we live in is it's all about self-centeredness. And we as the church, we want to ask God to break our hearts. So here's two actions if you want your heart broken is this. Is one, is just pray and ask God. 
God, what breaks your heart? Let my heart break for that. I, I used to do campus ministry. I w- worked at CU Boulder for five years, and I'd help students uh, in sharing their faith. And that can be really scary because most people, in, in like as I talk with you, that you're not like, I'm a crazy evangelist that gets out there and shares the gospel all the time. One of the best things that I would help students do is I would encourage them, go to like the student union or go to a, uh, like a park or anywhere. And this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you want your heart broken, go somewhere where people are at and sit there for an hour. And I just want you to look at people and I want you to pray for people. And what I've seen time and time again, God starts softening my heart, taking the calluses off, and I start seeing the brokenness of people. And the second action you can do is just be around broken people. Don't keep your life all like perfect. Be around the brokenness of our world. We are not to be sheltered from the world, but we are to be in the world. We are to be around broken people. So Jesus is worshiped on Palm Sunday. He is broken on Palm Sunday. And lastly, we can't miss this, is that it just doesn't stop with the brokenness. Jesus actually acts upon the brokenness. He doesn't just weep over Jerusalem and go, well, I did my job, I'm done. No, it is mission engaged. For the next six days, Jesus, is his eyes are headed to the cross, to Calvary, and he is destined for the cross. His weeping propels him to action. Our weeping should propel us to action. A little homework this week, uh, if you want, you can do this, but we're going through Luke 19. I don't have time to walk you through all of the Holy Week, the next six days, through the scriptures of all of Jesus' actions. Did you know actually all the gospels, all four of them, a third of the gospels are over these six days? Isn't that very interesting? Your gospels are very heavily Holy Week. So homework this week is go read Luke 20 to the end and just see what happens with Jesus. How does Jesus actually engage? How does he work on his, as he is broken, actually act upon that brokenness? And Jesus acted very differently though. See, I said this earlier, but most people believe that Jesus was going to be a political leader that he was going to be king, that he was going to conquer Jerusalem, and that he was going to rule. That was part of their fickleness is they wanted him to do, like kind of act how they wanted him to act, but he had a very different way of acting, that Jesus was not here to establish an earthly throne, but an eternal throne. It was a forever throne that he was establishing, and people were disappointed by this. He he goes, "I'm, I'm I'm headed to a hill to die. I'm not headed to Capitol Hill. His mechanism for change was a sacrificial love laying down his life, not a politically dominant leader. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying anything about politics right now. What I'm trying to to see is that Jesus sacrificially loved. And if we want to act upon our brokenness, we are to be sacrificially loving people. We are to lay down our lives. We are to care about people. And so whatever God is stirring in your heart right now, whatever brokenness you see in the world that you want to see change or frustrated, you go, I want to see a difference. We need to ask God, how can we engage in this? And there's kind of two ways we need to engage. It's one is we need to meet physical needs. There's a real reality. Like I said with Mark O'Brien, he has a platform to reach people that are living on the streets because he actually gets out there and gives them physical help. 
for a lot of us, we can give physical help to people that break our hearts. Don't just pass by the person, actually help someone. We want to physically help people, but we don't want it just to stop at the physical actions. We want to continue with the spiritual. See, people are broken and they need Jesus. This is why Jesus ultimately came is he came to die on a cross for broken people that were far from God and to bring every single person an opportunity to know God intimately. The greatest thing that our world needs is Jesus. Amen? The greatest thing our world needs for its brokenness is the gospel of Jesus. It's the reason he came. He did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And on Easter, he proves that he is God by his resurrection. And so as we prepare our hearts... We prepare for Easter Sunday. We are preparing for our resurrected King. And we believe that the power of the gospel can take all brokenness and change someone's life. So my ask for you is the same as what Ron asked at the beginning. A lot of, a lot of people, it's, it's hard to share our faith, but one of the easiest, best times to connect with someone spiritually is Easter. People are open to the things of God. People are looking for church. I want to challenge each and every one of us. Who's that person on our hearts? Who's someone that's far from God that you might be broken over? You're like, I wish they knew Jesus. I want to encourage you, text them. Invite them to Easter. Say, I got a seat for you. I want you to experience this. And we promise as a church, we're going to share the gospel. We're going to have a great Easter Sunday. And we're gonna have an awesome time for your friends, but we can't get those people here without you. That's what we as a church get to do. You as the body of of the church, us as the people, I can't invite your friends personally, but you can. So my prayer is that we might see a move of God happen on Easter where we would see salvation come and people restored, that they would no longer be broken, but they would be restored to Jesus. As I end... uh, I want to share about my son, Judah. Judah has such a soft heart. He has such a good heart. It's crazy. If you meet Judah, everybody thinks Judah's like their best friend. He just has such a soft heart. And actually, I think it comes from when he was a little boy, all the way through now, he loves to worship Jesus. He loves worship songs. He can almost sing every single worship song because at night, he'll, he has Alexa in his room. He's like, Alexa, play praise and worship. And it literally plays all night long. I get up to wake him up and worship music is happening. So his heart is just very soft to the things of God. And this a uh, couple weeks ago, our family and another family from the church, we got to go see this movie called Jesus Revolution. And in Jesus Revolution, it's this story of this movement of God that happens in the 70s where all these hippies are pushed out of the church and no one's going after them. And this one church starts embracing hippies in California and they start seeing thousands of people, thousands baptized a week. This movement reached almost over a million people in the 70s and God did explosive things. And what happened in the movie though is, we had the debrief with all our kids because there's a bunch of drug use in the movie and we're like, oh, we should probably have like conversations about this with our kids and we're talking to them and they're just seeing like the hardship and brokenness that addiction and drugs brought and they're very broken over it, and they're sad about it and it still stirred them. And I was looking at Judah and I kind of looked over at him and he's quiet and I go, Judah, what's, what, what do you feel? What are you thinking right now? And Judah started to share about this scene right here. 
And he shares this scene and he's talking about the movie. He goes, all those people were in that bay getting baptized. And he goes, that guy in the wheelchair, when they lifted him up and they put him in the water and literally Judah in front of all his friends started sobbing and weeping like uncontrollably. And my heart was just so happy because I saw Judah's heart break for the things of God. Might we be the same people of Judah? Our hearts would actually break for the things of God. And as a good dad, my goal is not just his heart to be broken, but to give him opportunities to engage with others, to love others. I can tell Judah has a heart for people that are less fortunate, that the world says are, are broken or hurting or left behind, the lost, the least, the last. I know Judah has a heart for that. So Molly and I, as his parents, we got to give him opportunities to serve in those places because he should not just be broken, he should act upon it. Church, wouldn't it be great if we were these people? That we would worship our King today. That we might be broken from the brokenness of the world around us and we might act upon it as we prepare our hearts for this Easter and we celebrate our resurrected Savior. May that be us as a church. Would you pray with me? Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you were worshiped. So we prepare our hearts to worship you. If there's anyone in here that's heart is not right with you, Lord, I pray that they would realize all they have to do is come to you. They have to ask for forgiveness and they have to go, God, you can have my heart. I pray that they would make that decision right now. And Lord, as followers of Jesus, we want to this Sunday, remember what happened on that Palm Sunday, that we... If we do not worship, the rocks might cry out. So we prepare our hearts right now that we might worship you in truth and with all our hearts, God, as your people. Let us be broken for the world around us. Our world is so broken and devastated right now. Lord, let us not just stop there, but let us actually be people of action and give us wisdom on how to act. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you would fill uh, this auditorium for every single service of people that are far from you, that hearts are prepared and are ripe for the gospel. And we pray for a movement of God to happen next week, Lord. We do all this in your son's name. Amen.